Welcome to Heart to Heart Conversations, the podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Etzel, and together we'll get out of our heads and into our hearts. These deep and meaningful conversations are meant to crack open our hearts, expand our worldview, and cultivate compassion. I truly believe world peace and unity of all people is possible, and it all starts with a heart-to-heart conversation. Hi, friends. Oh my gosh. It's so fun listening back to this episode because Hayden and I actually talked way back in the summer of 2020, or maybe it was the fall of 2020. Anyways, it was towards the very, very, very beginning of my podcast journey. Actually, even before I had a podcast mic and everything. And so just a little heads up that you might hear some like popping or crackling in this podcast episode. And um, it's so worth it, though. Like the content of our conversation is so rich and so full of life and purpose and meaning. And I just am so grateful for Hayden sharing his story so openly with all of us. And yeah, so I just wanted to give you that heads up. And um, I'm also starting to read reviews before um, the podcast episode. So today's review comes from the one and only T.O. Batman, which I'm very intrigued. I'm like, do I know this person? And since it says T.O. Batman, I'm like, is this an uncle of mine playing tricks on me? Anyways, the title is called Love Her Big Heart. And it says, so amazing to hear honest conversations. Sometimes the most uncomfortable conversations are the most honest and truly needed. If you're looking for something honest and true to the heart, you can't go wrong with this podcast. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much for your kind and encouraging words. They mean the world to me. And it's because of you and because of your reviews that I love creating and continuing to do what I do and have these epic and thought-provoking conversations. So thank you. And I so appreciate each and every one of you tuning in each week. Much love. And we will get into the podcast episode. We are back for another heart-to-heart conversation. And guess who I have on today? I feel like this is royalty, like President (laughs) Hayden. I'm not president anymore. We're also not at Pacific Lutheran University. I have no power here. (laughs) But no, that's so perfect because that's how we met. It's when we were at PLU. We were both students. And at the time, yeah, you were serving as president of the, what did you call it? Associated? Associated students. Yep. Yes. Associated students of PLU. ASPLU. Yep. Yep. And um, gosh, I forget how we even first started talking, but it was one of those scenarios where you don't know each other, you get together, you start talking, and it feels like you've known each other for forever. And I swear, Hayden, like we've only talked a couple times, but every time it's just everything's flowing. Like we can just riff on anything and talk about anything and everything. But today we have a specific topic. We're reining it in. And we're centering our heart-to-heart conversation on autism. So let's start there. Hayden, please share a little bit of your story and why you're here talking about autism with us. 
Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm here because I, I just love talking about autism for what I love talking about uh, my journey just as an autistic person and what that really has meant with me just like interacting with people and just like the social development because to be quite frank, it's really fun to tell people about because um, it's not your, I, I definitely was not your average kid, especially with what was going on in my head how I was perceiving things and whatnot. And I think it's awesome to have uh, conversations like this because neurodiversity is important. Uh, getting perspectives from other people and their journeys is important. Uh, and so any way to divulge into more talks that promote uh, diversity and growth, I think is awesome. I love hearing about other people and their experiences from other lens. And I just like to think I'm here where I can offer mine as uh, someone who is autistic. Yeah, that's such a beautiful lead in because I mean, I know autism is a spectrum, right? And so it's not mm -hmm. like you, Hayden, are the voice for everyone right. with autism and what you're saying yep. here is truth, right? Like you're sharing your experience and that's what Hearts mm -hmm. of Hearts are all about is us sharing our story and really opening up this space for others to share their story. And I think that leads to healing and growth and so thank you. And I mean, you, you even I, I saw dabbled in this in PLU and, and used your story and created a platform for others. So will you speak a little to that first? Yeah. So um, as far as my uh, involvement at uh, PLU was concerned, as far as me sharing my uh, my side of being uh, like autistic and whatnot, as well as um, promoting conversation and growth around the general topic of the spectrum, uh, was that um, in April uh, of every year, it is autistic aware, uh, Autism Awareness Month. And so I have uh, an awesome friend named Nene Watts, who I used to partner with. Uh, and we used to have these series of events on campus where people could come and learn more about autism and, and a certain intersecting identity, such as uh, race, gender, socioeconomic status, and whatnot. We invited other autistic uh, individuals to come and speak as well uh, where we could. And we brought in various experts to talk about it. Uh, and at certain times we were able to talk more about our personal um, approach to everything. Um, I will say as far as like the spectrum is concerned with me, I'm, uh, you know, I'm autistic and I, I specifically have the lens of coming from somebody who was originally diagnosed with uh, Asperger's, which is part of the spectrum. But uh, when, I was born that was not entirely clear that that was part of the spectrum it was considered related to autism but then in 2012 that changed where Asperger's was officially put under the uh one popular way another way is autism spectrum is uh, autism umbrella so I've heard that way but put before so yeah well yeah so it that shows that, I mean, we're always learning and evolving. And that's, it's interesting because I even, I mean, I know I've heard that, yeah, Asperger's is a little, is a little different. There's similarities. So interesting. Sorry, I think you cut out a little bit there. I don't, I, I didn't hear that last part. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. Um, Sorry. No, you're good. Um, I was saying that, yeah, it's interesting because I've heard that you know, Asperger's is a different, it's like a totally different su subsection and it like it's similar to mm -hmm. autism, but not like within the umbrella. So 
it, yeah, it goes to show like we're always evolving and science is coming out with new things, right? Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, because, you know, the DSM is essentially the dictionary of uh, medical terms. And it's like, well, there's been an update to this word kind of. Uh, but that update means it, it's a big it, it can be a big change for sure. And so um, and especially too, like, you know, it can go as far as what that means as far as treatment, how a treatment's approached to you, to how you address what you diagnose yourself as, which is a really interesting way to go about it um and so because it was sophomore year of high school where that changed where i could like before i would just say i i i'm an i'm someone with asperger's uh i have asperger's and then it's like oh like it's clear that you like i can i can identify as someone who's autistic because of this this change um and so and i i thought the change did make sense in that area because i think because i really like how we have looked at we look at more as spectrum and autism, yeah, it's it's really grown where it used to be because in the 40s and before, um, the diagnosis name for autism was not great. It was actually the R word. It was uh, that was the official term that was uh, for what is autism now. So, so yeah. for listeners, because um, I think I know which R word you're referring to, but I would love yes. for you to explain that for the listeners. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when I said the R word, I do mean uh, the word uh, retarded. That was uh, mental retardation was the official classification of someone who is autistic uh, from, I believe, the 1940s and prior uh, with like the 1880s, I believe, is when they first started to uh, really start to recognize it with some parts of the world, uh, maybe going as far back as the 1840s, maybe. And so... Um, yeah, and so and then in the 50s or 60s, that's when autism started to be used. But literally, one of the listed causes in the DSM uh, manual—I don't remember what version—was literally that your mother didn't love you enough as a child. That was Whoa. literally the one of the causes of of autism, the listed definite uh, reasoning, and. Um, there's actually a great documentary that talks a little bit more about that um, around Temple Grandin, who is an amazing autistic uh, professor. And uh, yeah, and uh, her mom, if I remember correctly, was, t was told that she did not love Temple enough. And if you watch the documentary or the movie about her life, it is very clear that she had a very loving and supporting mother. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's kind of the history of that side. So yeah. Yeah, I, I love to delve into causes because <laughs> like you yeah. said you you hinted at there's so many I think like maybe myths out there that people oh it was vaccines that's why you have autism right <laughs> yeah I used to get that I used to get that when I was younger uh growing up my parents would tell me that they had friends who said that I was vaccinated uh was the reason why that happened um and so um, there has been numerous studies that have shown that there is no link between vaccines and autistic uh, development. Uh, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, even if it did, like, why does that have to be a bad thing? But that's not, that's not how that works. So um, we don't need to go there. And so that's just always something I thought of. Um, but yeah, and so as far as causes, one of the many, like the most prevalent one is, is just genetic pass downs. Um, well, it's not confirmed. There's there's a couple family members I have, uh, especially men who um who would probably diagnose if they had literally been born later, uh, for example. 
And so um, there, there's that, uh, there's actually a new study that I read from CNN that said that smoking marijuana when you're pregnant could cause autism apparently now. So we're still trying to figure out how this is happening uh, and how it, it's caused and whatnot, uh, especially with it being such a spectrum, there's so many different ways you could look at it and whatnot. And uh, just because someone is autistic, you know, someone else is autistic, we're going to have completely different ways about how we approach things, how we're going to socialize. Because I can tell you how what I do to, uh, to make myself feel better in socially uncomfortable situations and how I, why I used to cope, but that is not the same way that um, my brother, who is also autistic, he copes a completely different way in social situations. So, and you know, he's my biological brother, but he has a completely different approach than I do. So that just kind of shows how unique this diagnosis can be for people. Yes, and I'd love for you, if you're open to it, to share with us what are your go-tos when you are in a socially uncomfortable situation. Yeah, to get started with that, I'm gonna go back to what I used to do to kind of show like what happens when you're younger versus what you have as you're older. Um, one example I can think of to share is when I was in preschool, actually, if someone said something to me or asked me something and I had no idea how to respond to it, which was almost every everything, almost every, I didn't, like I was used to talking to my parents and when I actually couldn't form sentences until I was four years old. Um, and so um, that is pretty common with people who are autistic is they're just building sentence structure just takes longer simply. Um, and so in preschool, like I said, if someone asked me a question, said something to me, I didn't know how to respond to, I literally would respond with my favorite color is blue. I, it doesn't matter what the context was. It didn't matter like what was said before and that's not in the other autistic people like that's just not something that we just all do that is just what I did and so yeah uh, everyone knew my, color, my favorite color was blue and so uh, <laughs> um and so um there's there's stuff like that where we don't know what to say or do and that's where pathologist is important um to this day, I still don't really care for going for concerts uh, personally or like really loud settings uh, for the most part because it's it's like a sensory overload thing for me. Sensory overload is something that uh, autistic people have uh, and we react to all kinds of things differently. My brother loves concerts. I don't like concerts. Uh, it's like it's like this weird scratchy feeling and I uh, what I usually do to... Um, what I usually do in those situations is that I'll usually go on my phone and read something about uh, politics because I love reading about politics. And so I kind of get dwelled into my interests. Um, some other autistic people, they'll uh, use fidget spinners. They'll use like that, that is a legitimate way to go about it. And that's probably one of the most common ones I've seen. It, it really is. They really are awesome and helpful. Um, I know people who are autistic who, uh, if they just kind of walk around and like talk to themselves, have a conversation, or if they're just mimicking noises from a movie that they watched, that's an approach that people do sometimes. I used to do that all the time as a kid. Like I would like, I would just randomly make TIE fighter noises from Star Wars because I love that noise. <laughs> so um, yeah, like I if I was in a social situation, I wasn't, uh, really down for or it was like you know people were playing tag at recess and I wasn't really invited that I would zone out and just think about Star Wars or Bionicles or uh actually Paul like the president what the president is doing probably because I was into politics at a young age so 
Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Super awesome insight. Thank you for sharing that. And, and it's really cool too, to see how your love for politics is just kind of interwoven into it. And how cool that you freaking were the president at PLU. Like that is a huge accomplishment and like way to go for your dreams. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, um, I actually have been thinking a lot about like in the past, like why, like why politics? Because, uh, and we've talked about this too, like every autistic person has a superpower. You know, everything or, or a lot of things about one subject or a couple subjects usually. Uh, and for me, politics and drawing maps are my two things. I actually think that um, being bullied as a kid is what led me into politics actually, um, because I essentially would get bullied. People would call me names and then I would ask my parents like, hey, what can we do to like to stop? And then, um, and then like, I would just see, I would see President Bush on TV. And I'd be like, I would ask them like, why, who is this person? What is he doing? They're like, oh, well, he's essentially like the CEO of the country. And I'd be like, so like he could change rules to stop stuff from this happening. And they were like, perhaps down the chain or like, you know, there's some people like the mayor would do something like that for specifically for Portland. And I was like, oh, okay. So if I want these things to stop, I need that job. And so that's literally like what started it uh, for me. So, yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that it, it was due to bullying that you found politics, but hey, I mean, yeah. it is a great way to, to make change and you know, like at, at the grassroots level too. I mean, I, it's not like you're, I saw you at PLU, right? Like you're interacting with the students. You're actually wanting to get our voices and, and just like work for the people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's the only way I can really see myself doing work, honestly. That's just what I love doing is, you know, I've, uh, I've, I have, my ways of how I've been talked down or beat down, but other people have different reasonings or approaches as to why that's happening to them. And I just want to do everything I can to stop a societal discomfort when there's especially multiple uh, approaches to things. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what pushes me into, into politics, but yeah. Yeah. I want to dive deeper into that. Cause you know, you're talking about your superpowers as an autistic <laughs> individual and you're talking about this passion for politics. And so kind of like where where do you go from here what are your how are you going to combine your superpowers with your love for politics um and make a difference in the world yeah um one superpower that a lot of autistic people have in common is we are ten, we tend to be very detail oriented and in politics for example that is something that can go a long way almost any job that can go in a long way and so um for me i think I mean, you were talking about how cool it was that I was doing by president, especially someone who is autistic, because yeah, it is a very social job and socializing and being autistic, is, it's harder, that it is harder. And so um, we don't learn social cues as well, just from watching people and kind of breaking down what happened as well as other people do. That's why path pathologists are so important. But anyways, with the superpower aspect, uh, yeah. So for me, it's like, I naturally am already trying to like talk to as many people as I can, learn as many stories as I can, reading history and whatnot. 
and learning what other people use to develop solutions. And so I'm hoping that if I'm in a position where I can implement policy, I can cite back um, the knowledge I've learned to solve problems. Uh, at PLU that looked like building, uh, trying to get funding to build a wheelchair ramp, renovate sidewalk paths, uh, because people with, at PLU was not a very ADA compliant campus, uh, simply put. And so I wanted to uh, make a change in that because that affected a uh, particular group of people, but not the rest of campus as much, but it was a, an issue that I would say that campus cared about a lot. So, yeah. So there's something I want to um, circle back to that you've been mentioning and I'm like, huh, I know I would like some clarification, probably the listeners too. Yeah. Um, it seems yeah. like you're saying like, oh, that's where pathology comes in or that's why pathologists are important. So will you touch on mm -hmm. that a little more? Absolutely. So I loved having pathologists from kindergarten uh, through ninth grade. That's how long I had uh, used a pathologist. So the, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to have a pathologist through the public education system uh, in Portland. And so um, not every school district, from what I understand, offers pathologists um, uh, for free always. Sometimes they don't have them and they refer them. Portland Public Schools, luckily enough, and many, I think most school districts have pathologists for students. And so um, what was awesome about having a pathologist is like there could be a time at recess where like let's just say uh like in fourth grade i think we were trying to play some sort of like fantasy game like where we would all play around but like i would try to create all of these rules that i thought were fun but other people didn't but like when we're that young people don't necessarily say why they don't like the thing it is they'll just start being mean to you and so with the pathologist i could go up to her and I could say like, what, what is that? So basically I could be like, what just happened? <laughs> like this happened at recess and now nobody wants to like play with me. And I like, why? And so like that person was someone who could like try to understand what happened. And then um, would then go into detail about like what happened, like, and then give you ideas about what to do in the future. In this case, it would be like, oh, like maybe hear what a few other people want to, um, propose first and see if like if anything they say is something that you want to do to reinforce that for example also it was like a cool space because like I can meet other people who had who were also autistic or maybe had another dis social disability of some sort and we would actually be able to hang out and play games together and so in a sense we were able to literally practicing socializing with each other without really like recognizing that's what was happening and so but it was fun and um, and whatnot. I will say though, it was it was really weird. Like I remember going up thinking like, oh wait, why am I leaving like my classroom and everyone else is staying here, but I'm just leaving to meet with this other person. So there was a weird element with that um, because then it's like, there's kind of like a, you, you start to wonder like, why does no one else have to do this, but I have to do this. And so there is, there is a flip side to the coin in that area. I'm still super grateful I had a pathologist and whatnot. And I had parents who were willing to explain to me why that was the case because um, people never understand that and they feel different. They'll some, and then sometimes they'll have a bad pathologist maybe and whatnot, but I was lucky enough where I had um, a great pathologist and good parents. I was able to understand what was going on and 
whatnot. And uh, I was able to actually get like extended time on uh, taking tests in high school and college because of my pathologist, because, you know, this was someone who recognized that I have anxiety during tests. And uh, that is something that not everyone else has to go through. So having that additional time allowed me to adjust and cope a little bit longer to get through this barrier that not everyone else has. And so they, this, so yeah, a pathologist in short is awesome because they can help you understand certain things. They give, they can give you like a social interaction manual in a sense, like no one else will do that for you, except for maybe your parents, if you know what to ask or your pathologist. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a safe space. Like you said, mm -hmm. to explore and kind of try things on and yeah, you recognize that, oh, I'm leaving the class and other kids may not have to do this, but um, it, it's wonderful because it is one of those, I guess, resources to help you thrive and to, it, in addition to the maybe extended time on tests, it's, it's, it's a way to, um, what is the word, like accommodate for neurodiversity, right? Like we aren't, we don't all process things the same. Uh oh. Mm -hmm. Oh shoot! I thought I lost yeah, my Wi-Fi. It... Oh no, you're good. Yeah, no, it's um, it's definitely interesting because like uh, it actually um, a law passed a year before I started at PLU, um, that actually made the whole timing extension uh transfer into PLU a lot easier. Um, there was um. There was like a one rare bipartisan bill that passed in 2014. I say rare because the Republicans controlled Congress, but Obama was president. Uh, and so, and this is 2015, so right before I started at PLU, um, that basically removed this uh, financial barrier to continue like your like services from high school. Like the, I was told by the director of disability services at PLU that like yeah, literally. Uh, a year ago uh, and beyond and prior to that, you would have actually had to pay like a $270 fee to like literally like be able to use your time extension. Uh, and it wasn't because of a university policy, but it was like some sort of strange federal policy um, that was applied to universities that was changed during uh, the Obama years under a Republican Congress. And so, um, yeah. And so literally I was, it, it was just crazy to me. I think like I would have to pay that was essentially like a, a pre-existing necessity for me to thrive in education as well as everybody else so right yeah. and I think you spoke to this a little bit earlier when you were talking about what you and um is it Nene yes yeah what you and Nene were doing at PLU um about how even for folks with autism there's like this whole spectrum of each individual, right? Depending on um, socioeconomic status, but depending on race and and all of those different factors. And so um, I know this is like, we're getting like into the nitty gritty and the deep, but this is what yeah. I live for. This is heart to heart yes. right here. And so we yes. dive deeper into that. Yeah, so um, yeah, the whole, the diagnosis journey and the, the spectrum and where you lie on the spectrum, your race and your gender are all factors that really determine if and when you get diagnosed. Um, for And so I 
was lucky enough that I was diagnosed at the age of four years old. And so I say lucky because, um, especially in the, uh, let's see, that would have been the year 2000 or 2001. Back then, especially, I think uh, the uh, average age of diagnosing somebody was a couple years older. It was six. Now it's starting to look more like two to four years old, I would say on average nowadays. Um, but if you're white, you are much more likely to have an earlier diagnosis than a person of color is, is likely to. Um, I, yeah, and so um, I was actually, the, the main reason I was even diagnosed was because my preschool teacher was the first person to ever say to my parents, like, I think, you, I think Hayden it, uh, has Asperger's syndrome. And I was, I'm my, I was my parents' oldest uh, child. And so like, I, you know, I am grand zero for, for kid child raising for them. And so they had no idea that me not learning how to form sentences until I was four years old was considered late and whatnot. And compared to my uh, average peers, my eye contact was non-existent. It was, I was looking everywhere else but people's eyes or at people. I wanted to look at the Legos. I wanted to look at the cool colorful poster on the wall. Um, and whatnot um but and then so basically when she noticed that i wasn't socializing as well when i was saying that um, my favorite color was blue and whatnot that's what led her to wonder if i was autistic or not but fun fact because of laws at the time um why my doctor said that she could have made an official medical diagnosis for me that was not what happened. What we ended up doing is we just we were able to get the school district to recognize it. And the reason why medically we did not move forward with me being um, officially diagnosed uh, as someone with Asperger's was because prior to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, pre-existing conditions meant higher insurance costs. And so literally if I had moved forward with being medically diagnosed uh, as somebody with Asperger's, um, there would have been a rise in my parents' health insurance. And so now with Obamacare, that is no longer the case because there's a provision preventing additional charges for pre-existing conditions in that regard or, and just completely banning discrimination on pre-existing conditions. And so there was that, that factor, but um, I know a lot of people who are autistic who were not diagnosed until their teens. And that is not always the greatest problem because I know people who did take that long to get diagnosed and there's because of how our society, society works, the whole uh, pathologist approach with the whole like, why am I leaving the room and everyone else is, um, if you're not diagnosed at an early age, you kind of start to have this, what's wrong with me mentality. Um, and it's really easy just with the way how everything functions and because people don't see autism for the superpowers that it has a lot of the time, even if you are diagnosed at a young age, you kind of have like a, what's wrong with me? Why am I different? Um, but that was part of the reason why I loved the X-Men so much when I was a kid, because in the show, you know, the X-Men are mutants and they have these cool powers, but society is terrified of them. And so, and like, and like they have like senators in the show who are trying to like kill mutants or whatnot. And I honestly found that show to be kind of relatable in more, in a more extreme sense. And so, um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. I don't know if I got a little off there, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just, yeah, there's just so much within that question. I love that you shared, you know, from your experience and growing up what it was like. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm sure we could like have a whole other heart to heart conversation with like you and Nene, almost like a round table of 
yes yeah like life with autism and and your experiences mm-hmm. um I know before we press record you were talking about an autism conference that you attended and so yes. if if you're open to it can you share um maybe some takeaways from that and just some things that um listeners that you would like them to know um and to be able to understand more about folks with autism yeah absolutely so um yeah, so Nene told me in uh, the fall of 2018, so this was our fourth year together at PLU, um, we, she was telling me about this uh, autism conference, this new annual autism conference. I believe that this was for, for its second year in a row at UW, our University of Washington Bothell. And uh, what was really awesome about this conference and um, was that it was completely ran and facilitated by autistic people. And the whole purpose of it was to really under, like you can delve into certain subjects about learning more about autism. And what was one of the coolest takeaways from it, in my opinion, is how much I would love to see like just us as a society, like change a couple things to be more neurodiverse friendly. What I mean by that, for example, is uh, at the conference, we started off with talking about like I guess um, social approaches uh, and what I mean by that, for example, is they were saying like, if you need to leave the room because of sensory overload or whatever, have at it. If, uh, you know, and we talked about too, like, where, uh, like if you're on your phone while people are talking, let's not take offense to that. We were saying like, it, it, when we broke up to these side rooms, we would say things like, okay, like we don't all have to sit like at the classroom chairs. Like if you want to sit on the ground or lay down on the ground and pay attention, do it. Like uh, I know somebody who came into um, one of our conference rooms and uh, just like five, like, and at first this person was outside of the room and the door was open and like it's, and then they came down, they lay down on the ground, uh, played on their phone for a bit. And then, but like was listening and we broke off into smaller groups and I think the average person would have thought this person's a slacker. They obviously weren't paying attention, but that was not the case. This person was just as engaged in conversation in our small groups as the person who was sitting at the table and from what you could tell was attentive the whole time. And so basically what I'm trying to say is, is that I really would love to see like a change to a lot of the necessity, what we see as necessities to function in shared spaces like we I, in my opinion after that conference I was like you know what we all shouldn't have to just sit at the this chair in the same tables and do stuff like that because there's some people where they won't learn as well and people think that when they are laying on the ground that they're that, again they, they are slacking and so I want I the big one of my biggest takeaways is I wish I hope to see in the future that we become more uh we we just share more neurodiverse policies or recognitions or acknowledgements like that because for so many autistic people like just making those few social changes could mean higher graduation rates it could mean higher success rates with autistic for autistic people and whatnot and so yeah that was one of my bigger takeaways another big takeaway was this concept of and i hadn't thought about this too much so when I think one thing that people kind of struggle about when, especially when people are attempting to be politically correct is how you address somebody who's autistic. 
because uh, sometimes, um, and I mean, some people don't even think about that this much. When you're talking about, let's say you're a parent of someone who's autistic. I personally, just as a kid, I love being referred as somebody who is autistic or I am an autistic person. Um, depending on how you say it, for example, saying, oh yeah, this person has autism or, oh yeah, my kid has autism. It sounds kind of like a disease when you put it that way sometimes. It depends on kind of how you're saying it, what your tone is, um, exactly how you're talking about it. And we don't like being referred to like we have diseases. Uh, I think there's a growing sense of, of like autistic patriotism in some people. And I think like being autistic is awesome. I can't imagine not being autistic. I think it's helped me out more than, than it's hindered me. So um, yeah. And so those were, yeah, the two biggest takeaways I'd say is it'd be cool if we had more social adaptations in the classrooms and other shared spaces with each other and just really thinking about how you refer to your autistic buddy. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And I'm yeah. so with you with the social adaptations. It's interesting mm -hmm. because I found myself thinking about, huh, how would I, how would I perceive that scenario? And it, or, at first it is like, oh, how dare they? That's disrespectful. Yeah, <gasps> they're on yeah. the phone when they're talking or, you know, like laying on the ground. Yeah. But, but then I'm like, why are we all sheep? Why are we told to sit down and shut up and listen? <laughs> or like, why do you care about the other person of it? They're not doing anything to hinder your learning, you know? <laughs> like, so yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if someone's like being loud in the corner or something like that, that would be a little different because that's hindering other people's learning. But like, I think we can make some changes that can make the learning, learning environments more accessible. And so, uh, but yeah, like when I was younger, I used to love drawing while I heard a teacher lecturing me and I was told not to do that because they think that I am just completely zoning out and drawing. But in actuality, I am listening to you. I have a place for my eyes to be because especially younger autistic people, like I said, eye contact and like looking at someone when they're talking, it doesn't come natural to us. Actually, one of the newest cool versions of this new study I was reading about, it's so awesome about um, getting one-year-olds or like even infants to see if they're autistic. It's a new study. It's not official yet. They're still experimenting on the accuracy um, is if you take an inf uh, a baby or a toddler and you don't know if they're autistic or not, the child that is less likely to be autistic, if you have like a TV screen with uh, people making funny faces, but then you have another screen next to it with all these colorful shapes moving around the screen, the non-autistic kid We'll probably stare at the faces nine times out of 10, look at the shapes on occasion, look back at the faces, but now, but the autistic child, they will probably look straight at the shapes and either only look at those or they'll give it like the faces one glance or a couple and then just go straight back to the shapes because we just, we, I don't know. Eye contact is, is weird. I was lucky enough. My parents told me to approach that. They're like, look at somebody right here between their eyebrows because the eyes aren't as daunting and they think you're looking at them in their eyes. So, yeah. Whoa, yeah. I mean, finding ways to, to make it work because I know I've been told maybe by my parents, probably by people just like through school and everything of, yeah, like uh, show respect, look me in the eyes, right? But if that's daunting for you and if that's just a no-go, then 
you know, how, how do you function in society as a somewhat, whatever normal is, <laughs> somewhat yeah. normal human being, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly, yeah, it's, it's also interesting, and, like, you know, for some, so for some people, as soon as you learn the eye contact thing, all of a sudden, like, and, like, this is something I, I talked about with the pathologist, they're, like, maybe sometimes don't always look at your eyes, because for me, you know, like I said, like this whole concept of wanting a social manual sounds awesome because like I'm told, okay, look at people in the eyes. And this is some, something that other autistic people experience maybe with different lessons. But that, so then like as a nine, nine-year-old or whatever, all of a sudden I'm like staring you down at your eyes hard and all of a sudden I'm making people uncomfortable. And I go to my pathologist and I'm like, look, I'm told to look people in the eyes. All of a sudden that's a bad thing what is going on? <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, they were like, maybe like give 10 seconds in the eyes, look somewhere else and then go back. And then like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's so exhausting. And you're like, what do people want? <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? And that's, that's what's going through my head, like all the time in school when I was younger. So yeah, because yeah. you're like, you're trying to be present in the conversation, but then you're also counting in your head, like one, two, three. Yeah, four, yeah no, ex that's exactly, that's exactly what starts happening. And it, yeah, it's just so funny to like learning social lessons. It's just like, it, it, like, I just an autistic person. It's like, why are you telling me to do this? But then it's wrong. What's what, what, <laughs> it's wrong later. Or you're the way, like, why can't it just simply be like, do this, you're done. <laughs> it's like, like, <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, or like we had like just learning social cues is just does not come as easily for us, and so it yeah. Well, and I hear you talk about this, you know, social manual, type yeah, thing, right, like an instruction booklet, and I'm thinking about it, and it's like that would be great, and it would totally differ between cultures too. Like one social mm -hmm. manual for the U.S. would be way different from say a social manual in South America exactly exactly that's the other thing and so like you know diversity is important like i like i've uh like i've said uh before and one but yeah absolutely like there are so many different cultural perceptions about how you go about socializing and so a social manual sounds great but we're not all robots and sometimes as an autistic person you almost wish people were robots but then then you like kind of grow up more and you're like no actually a robot maybe wouldn't be the best way to go about it but <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, you're like you want to be more straightforward but that's not always how it works and so in short like if we just make some social adaptations in learning spaces and um that's another reason too like like ethnic studies and like just learning more about culture at a young age and diversity is important because if you grow up with a bunch of people who look like you and act like you that's going to hinder you in all kinds of different ways in the future so yes. yeah uh, yes totally 100 percent um, gosh, we've covered so much and I feel like there's so much more. Um, I do yeah. like to, right. There's always more. Um, mm -hmm. I do like to give space at the end here for you, Hayden, say, if I didn't ask a question that you would like to touch on, or if there's just something that you'd like to use this time to talk about, go for it. Ooh, yeah. I appreciate that. Actually, there is something that uh, I like to think about. So uh, again, you know, I can share, I can tell you all about my autistic experience. I can't tell you everybody else's. I can tell you a couple things that we may share in common from observation or stuff I've read. Um, but one thing I kind of want to challenge listeners to kind of think of when it comes to autistic people, especially with the superpower thing is I want 
people in general to think autism less and less as something that is bad. It's not a bad thing. It's neurodiversity. And I'm actually going to relate this to uh, video games really quick in a really interesting way. So basically like, you know, let's say, let's say you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or you're uh, playing a video game where like you have certain scores for your speed and your strength and whatnot. Now, if you convert that to like everyday life, I would like, I kind of like to think, and I've talked to other autistic people about this too. Like, I'd like to think is autism as this, as a skill point reallocation, basically. Like, so like, let's say like non-autistic people, they're a little bit more balanced in their skill points. Let's just say like, if like, but I would say like autistic people, it's like, okay, like it's balanced overall, but like socializing might be a little lower at first, depending on the person, depending on the person, depends how old you are, what your experiences are. But then like we have a higher skill point. And like, if for me, I would say like compared to my peers, especially in grade school, I knew a lot more about politics and history about, than my average peers. And that was one of the few areas where I was viewed as a smart kid at the time. And so it's like, yeah, it's like, it's a skill. It's more of a skill point reallocation that's not as averaged out uh, in a sense. Um, it's not it's not just a bad thing like yeah, like sure like i would have liked to have maybe some uh, same social cue perceptions as my peers do but to me like getting so attracted to, and learning to about politics and being able to draw a map from 1914 onward without looking at a map is so worth having a little drawback and learning how to talk to people a little bit so yeah, and so, yeah, so there's kind of like, I like to encourage people to kind of think of a skill point reallocation uh, when you're thinking about um, autism and um, yeah, and just uh, one thing I like to, talk, to mention too is like, you know, part of the reason why I want to encourage neurodiversity and people adapting to um, how we approach classrooms, learning spaces and workspaces is we as autistic people, we learn so much about how other people, or by other people, I mean non-autistic people interact, socialize, and whatnot. But there's not a whole lot of, of the other way around. There's not a whole lot of non-autistic people learning about how autistic people socialize and function. And I hope people kind of think about that more. We, we as a society spend more time learning how to communicate with our animals sometimes than autistic people or other people with disabilities. Like we learn what we like, we learn things like, oh, you like a lot of people care about like, oh, like, you know, for example, with dogs, um, you shouldn't have to, you don't have a hand signal and speak to the dog to sit at the same time because that's two different parts of the brain at work. More people are more likely to talk about how a dog's brain functions, I think, more than how a neurodiverse, a neurodiverse human thinks sometimes. And we're so focused on autistic people and people with disabilities learning how to interact with, with non-autistic people. But I wish we would just spend a little bit more time learning about how we all interact with each other. And so that's, that's kind of what I wanted to include right there. Uh, thank you. I love the <laughs> analogy. And thank you. <laughs> yeah, such a good, I, I see it as kind of a call to action for listeners of, okay, if you're listening to this, you know, like, how can we move forward? Cause it's cool. It's cool to talk about this. Right. But then yeah. it's like, we let's like make meaning of it and, and take, be proactive in, yeah. Like how can we, you know, just be more, I don't even know the term you use more socially diverse. Did you say, or. Yeah, no, that's all. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And as far as learning more outside of here, like 
I actually like to encourage people not to go to Autism Speaks that much. It's one of the more popular resources uh, for autism. And the reason why I say it is uh, going back to that whole, like, someone has autism is just from my experience and other autistic people and this actually got brought up at the conference it just feels like autism speaks kind of comes from that that sick that that we need to recover and cure you because their website literally talks about how there's no cure for autism and i say why do we need a cure for autism why don't we just socially adapt as a society and so uh reading books or watching stuff from temple Grandin's awesome any book that is from an autistic person's uh, perspective, um, uh, John Asperger, if I remember correctly, is the name of the doctor who, for example, uh, created at, uh, the um, analysis or the single point of Asperger's, like, learn about the spectrum. It's, there's like seven different names under the autism umbrella or spectrum of Asperger's being one of them. I can speak a lot on the Asperger side of things but there are all kinds of different uh, areas under the autism uh, spectrum disorder. So, yeah. Yeah, so many good resources. And of course you are a resource. So how can people connect with yes. you? Yes, um, I love, love chatting with people and talking to people, uh, especially during uh, this time of COVID, uh, hit me up uh, online. I am on uh, Facebook, uh, Hayden Cash Brunel. Um, Instagram, it's, it's uh, at president period uh and then my first name without the end um you can hit me up there i uh also use uh gmail uh haydencash at gmail.com so yeah perfect and we'll include <laughs> all of those in the show notes and yeah i mean if you're listening and if you yourself have autism or if you know someone with autism we would love to hear your takeaways um reach out to me reach out to hayden uh really like that's this is just the start of the conversation, this heart to heart, and we love for it to kind of ripple out and to, to hear the impact that it's making. So we'd love to hear from you. And until next time, thank you so much, Hayden. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Uh, yeah, hit me up. I love talking about autism. You can hit me up with zero context uh, about why you're asking me this question. I will answer it. So <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Heart to Heart Conversations, the podcast. If there's someone in your life that would really benefit from listening to this episode, it would mean the world to me if you took 30 seconds to share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, text it to them, do whatever you have to do to spread this message of hope with the ones you love most. Until next time, keep following your heart.